This episode of Starring Strength Radio is brought to you by the Wichita Falls chapter of Fight Club. I'd love to tell you more about it, but apparently they have some rules that prohibit me from doing so. All I can tell you is that they meet behind the Dairy Queen off Kent Boulevard every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. And remember, you didn't hear it from me. All right, let's talk about what's coming up. Our next full seminar will be in Wichita Falls on March 6th through the 8th. We still have a few spots for that. Woodmere, New York is now officially sold out. That was in April. So the next available seminar after that is going to be in Denver on May 15th. We're testing out a new camp format with a squat, press, and deadlift camp. And we're testing that out in Baltimore on May 17th at 5x3 Training and in Singapore at Hygieia Strength on May 31st. The next two camps that I'm going to list off are going to be squat and deadlift camps. Woodmere this weekend on February 23rd. Savannah, Georgia on March 28th. Tampa, Florida on April 4th has one spot left. We just added Phoenix, Arizona on May 9th and Bellevue, Washington on May 16th. We do have a couple deadlift and power clean camps coming up. Seoul, South Korea on April 5th and Woodmere, New York on May the 3rd. Also on April 5th in Seoul, South Korea, they will be holding a squat camp that morning. A couple meets coming up on March 22nd. Woodmere is having their deadlift only meet. And then on April 18th in Phoenix, Arizona, at Weights and Plates, they'll be having a full strength lifting meet. Starting Strength Denver is having a special event with Stan Efferding of the Vertical Diet. It'll be a combination nutrition lecture and platform session on April 18th. Not only is your ticket good for that day, but it also entitles you to a week of free training at Starting Strength Denver. For more details and information, head over to the Starting Strength Denver Facebook page to sign up. If you're looking for other Starting Strength gyms or want to request a gym in your area, make sure to head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. That's locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more details and registration information on all the events that we have coming up, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. It's Friday, and here we are. And today we're here with our friend Eric Kennedy from Red Barn Butchers here in Wichita Falls, and we are going to talk about the meat business. Now, we've already talked about the cattle business, and we're going to kind of pick up where the cattle business left off and talk about the meat business. Eric, thanks for coming today. You Appreciate you. your being here. Uh, Eric runs a, uh, a butcher shop here in town, and he's been in the meat business for 45 years, and... Uh, He's got a whole lot of experience doing this, and I thought we would sit down and pick his brain about what you and I eat and how it gets there. So, uh, Eric, you've been in this business for a long time. Tell us about your background in this. Uh, it started out like a lot of people did, uh, you know, in a little meat shop somewhere, and we did carcass beef at the time um, mm -hmm. after – Several years of experience. Well, then I moved on down to California, and I've bounced around uh, several different places uh, over the years. Everybody You're from me, Idaho, yes, right? And a lot of people have asked me why I've moved around so much, but I tell them I'm a grocery whore because you know I was learning experience, right? And uh, so, in moving around, though, that I gained a lot of different things from different places, which mm -hmm. has helped us tremendously here because we have the base community you know that are from everywhere and so a lot of times when they know 
what they want. They come in and right. ask. I already know what it is. Right. Somebody comes in and asks you for a tri-tip. Right. You've got, you've actually got one. We do. Yes. Which is which is interesting for Texas because nobody here knows what tri-tip is. They're learning we'll, quick though. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, so you've been doing this a long time, and you've been in every aspect of the retail end of the of the beef business. Uh, what I'd like to know is, uh, well, we now we we discussed briefly in our in our previous podcast about the cattle business. We discussed briefly the the terminal end of the deal. What happens in the slaughterhouse? Now uh, it is a sad fact that uh, cattle die when beef is produced. All right, and as we as we mentioned previously, life is predicated on death. So grow up. So we kill cattle and we process them into beef. Uh, tell us about that uh, about that process. I don't want to dwell on this a lot, but but we were talking previously about the humane nature of, of the slaughter business right. now. It's highly regulated. Very. Very, very regulated. And uh, it the point I've made previously was that it's in no one in this business's interest to stress a steer correct before we kill it correct right yeah and there's you know why would you invest all that money and time in an animal and then take it somewhere and then just ruin every dime you put into it it just makes no sense whatsoever a carcass that is abused an injured carcass a sick carcass an unhealthy carcass is not worth as much money. Absolutely. And the regulations prohibit sick animals on antibiotics from being slaughtered. Absolutely. And uh, sick, uh, injured, uh, even if they have a question about it, they will quarantine it for up to 48 hours just to observe the animal, just to make sure that nothing is wrong with it. Right. And that may be a vet coming in to test it or whatever, you know, but they will, they'll watch it strictly. So they're all big plants have got a quarantine facility. Absolutely, yeah. Right. Big, little, it don't matter. I mean, we had a small <clears throat> operation, and we had a quarantine pen. That's the only thing it was used for was quarantine. Right. So uh, we get them off the truck. We put them in a pen. We feed them. Let them calm down from the trip. Then yep. what happens? Then they go into the system where they're weighed, and then they go into a chute. Uh, some of them are automatic. Some of them are physical you know to where they actually uh there's somebody standing there to put the animal down um but every part of that is observed by an inspector so that they know exactly what's going on with that animal right. so there's nothing that goes crazy right so how do they put them down uh some of them use an automated uh knocking pin uh some of them use an actual knocking gun uh that they stand there and actually knock the animal um they hit it in the forehead yeah, it's just a it's just a light pressure to the animal, and then lights out, and right. so they never so know what's going on. Punches a hole in the frontal yeah. part of its skull, and it loses consciousness instantaneously. Right, and then after that, they uh, they pull them out, uh, bleed them out, and then they start processing them, set them down, skinning them, taking the internals out, and everything. Right. Uh, and then once they have that process done, then they have to go through a chilling factor to bring them down to whatever that particular company's HACCP program is on the chill, uh, 
that way it, it eliminates any chance of getting any type of other infections or anything else. And so the refrigeration basically is immediate. Oh, yes. Yeah, as soon as that hide comes off, it's, it's split down the middle into halves mm-hmm. or quarters and then straight into the chilling chamber. And they, they cool it down to, for how long? Uh, it's got to be cut down to temp within two hours. Two hours? Yeah, yeah. So, and it's all, uh, we had a digital thermometer that actually was Bluetooth that read straight to the computer to let you know exactly what the temperature was so that it did a printout, you know, so that nobody was involved in that. Nobody's going in there and saying, hey, you know, we slipped out. This thing is not in where it should be or whatever. But they watch that. And then once that animal is processed, then we like to let it set up. Uh, Once it's set up a little bit, um, then we start processing it further from there. Most places like to do a 14, 21 day age. Uh, 14 is kind of the sweet spot. It, it actually lets the animal set up a little bit, but it doesn't, doesn't start putting on a lot of the nutty flavor. As, and when mm-hmm. then you go into the 21, 45 days, whatever, uh, then it'll start putting on the nutty flavor of the meat. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. I like it five weeks myself, right. but I know that's consumptive of hanging room in the cooler, but that's, that's, I've, I've uh, I've done this a couple of times, and five weeks seems to be the best place. Right. If you guys are contemplating aging any beef yourself, uh, well, let's 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 talk about that later. It's a separate topic because aged uh, box beef and aged sides are two kind of different, completely things, different, two yes. completely different yeah. things, and 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 that's an important topic in terms of you buying this beef. So. Uh, we mentioned the USDA inspection. Uh, now, I think this is important uh, because the government is heavily involved in the meat industry. And this, this may be one of the places where the government's involvement in an industry is not terribly destructive. Tell us about USDA inspection. USDA, whether it's state or it's federal, um State meaning that you can keep the product within the state that you're in. Federal meaning you can go outside those borders. Well, does Texas have an inspection authority? They do. But is it does that derive from USDA? It is. And so the USDA runs a federal level program and a state level program. Correct. And in some areas, your state inspector may also be a federal inspector, depending on whether they have enough to keep those inspectors busy in that area. Now, what are they inspecting? They inspect everything. They inspect the carcass from the time that you start processing it to make sure there's no hair, no feces, uh, no abnormal looks to the skin or the hide or the meat. or right, no injuries, no disease, absolutely. no abscesses, absolutely. that sort of thing. Yeah. And so that's the first start of the first step of the inspection. And can, a con- can an inspector condemn a carcass? Absolutely. Yep. They do it all the time, yep. I guess, don't they? And then it's it doesn't go anywhere but in a bone can, and it goes shipped off for... Uh, Valley or, Protein. Yeah, Valley Protein. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, there's no question about it. I mean, that, it's just done. And, you know, the same way with a lot of the... We have a lot of customers that want the green tripe, you know, for their animals and stuff for their raw diet but Mm -hmm. they don't allow you to do that anymore they actually dye it so that you can't use it for anything else and what is green tripe green tripe is unscalded unbleached tripe 
And, it's, and tripe is third and fourth stomach. Yes. Right. Yes. From a ruminant. Yep. Right. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's got a lot of nutrients in it, but also, you know. It's what menudo's made out yes, of, right? Yes, absolutely. Some people like menudo. Yep. I don't. <laughs> I've had good, I've had bad. I've, I'd rather have chili. <laughs> really, but. Oh, God. So, uh, the, the inspectors come in and uh, basically supervise the entire process. Yes. From kill to hang. Yep. What do they do after that? After that, they're just mainly looking to see that when you start doing cuts, that nothing can be brought in that can contaminate that animal. Um, it comes down a rail system. It can't touch anything. It can't touch other boxes or stuff that's coming from other plants. If it does, then you have to trim it all off. Um, really? Everything yeah. is isolated to, yep. the, to the single plant. They yep. can't co-mingle two plants meat. No, sir. Is that right? Yeah. And if it comes down that rail and it touches... I guess the reason for that is if something happens and a disease vector is introduced into the product, it allows them to trace it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. And you have to submit samples anyway once a month, you know, of different things just to make sure that, you know, none of that had E. coli or none of it had any right. contaminants in it whatsoever. And you have to hold on to that product. That's why there's an inspection bug on the boxes that you get because that's their way of tracing it back to that plant and... Well, it's got a number, yeah, right? And that number will trace back to the plant, telling the plant, okay, this is what day it happened, this is who was working, this is what went on and everything. So, And they probably trace back to the herd then, can't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah, because most of the herds right. now are chipped from calf, you know, and so mm -hmm. they know exactly where that animal's been the whole entire time. Right. And I guess most of this is a result of the BSE thing about 20, 25 years ago, right? Some of it's from that, and uh, some of it's from cattle rustling back in the day, you know. Um, I don't understand why some of the rules are set up the way they are. It's like they haven't updated the policies, even though they're chipping and they know more about those animals step by step than what they so used they to. So they just got some archaic regulations. Yeah, there's a few of them. Still in place. Yeah. So uh, I guess they also probably inspect the plant for sanitation cleaning absolutely right absolutely every morning you do a pre-op uh the pre-op consists of going through all the machinery before you put it together to make sure it's all clean and everything you do your own pre-op then the inspector comes in and does a, a pre-op with you and if they find anything then it's all the equipment has to be rewashed sanitized and all put back out for them to observe again before you can use it yes sir so how do you get it clean you do when, the, when you're done with the day. When you're right? done with the day, you break it all down, do the wash, rinse, and sanitize procedure. Um, you have to be really thorough on some places, like the hamburger plates, uh, saw blades, uh, anything that's going to grip any right. meat particle or anything right. else. So all that's got to be washed Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Bleach, cold. Well, what, what do they use? They probably got some specialized product. Yeah, huh? the bleach is. We try to steer away from that just because it can be overdone mm -hmm. real easily. And so there's a lot of companies out there with real good cleaning chemicals that are already mm -hmm. set up. They're already FDA approved. They're already, you know, legit. And they're well, and bleach oxidizes your steel components yeah. and you don't want rust and yeah. anything. So. Yeah. It, it'll, that and salt are the two worst things right. on equipment. Right. So, uh, uh, every day is concluded with this extensive yes, sir. cleaning process. Yep. And I've seen this a little bit, hot water and everything's washed down the drain and the 
floors are all drained and everything set up to to make everything clean every day. Correct. Right. And uh, so are USDA inspectors veterinarians? Not necessarily, no. Uh, There are some that are, uh, but most of them that I've been around are not. They've gone through part of the courses or something, you know, the know what to look for and areas to look for, but they're not actually veterinarians. What, so what does their background consist of? Most of them have gone through some type of uh, course at a college, and then they follow it through with a sort of like a trainee program, uh, following alongside another experienced veterinary, or not veterinary, but a, an inspector. And then that way they've got ideas of what to look for and stuff. Uh, they've got to report to somebody just like everybody else does. Right. Well, I guess uh, the the total uh, effect of this rigorous program is to uh, create a, a clean meat supply for the, you know, and I you just don't see reports in the media, but occasionally of contaminated meat every once in a while. Every once in a while. They'll rec- recall 100,000 pounds of hamburger. Right. From somebody screwing something up in the yep. process, I wonder what they do with a hundred thousand pounds of hamburger when they recall it. <laughs> that landfill, I guess. Put it in a <laughs> I'm hole. I'm sure it's huh? in fertilizer or something. something. I don't know. I, that's a lot of money. Hundred thousand pounds of hamburgers. By the time you pay for transportation, that's half million dollars. Oh yeah, easily. Oh, maybe more than that. Is the specialized transportation required? But that's that's always interesting. You see that in the news every once in a while. But the amazing part is, is you don't see it in the news. When it's in the news, it's unusual because the system works very well. It does, yes. And you know, the, right. they've uh, they've got so many steps in there and placed in each location that you know it just. I don't know how anything would slip through unless somebody's mm-hmm. sleeping on the job. And right, well, that would happen. You know. <laughs> that does happen occasionally. Yeah. So, uh, right now in the retail end of the of the meat business, you've got big grocery stores. You got the big chains. You got Walmart, Kroger, all the brands under which Albertsons operates. These great big giant national chains of grocers, and they've got a they've got a supply stream. And then, uh, recently, we've seen the resurgence of shops like yours, right. small meat markets. Uh, what is the, the differences between these two opportunities to buy meat to take home to eat? Well, there's not, in one way, there's not a lot of differences. Uh, you know, it may be they're getting some of the same product that I might be getting. Uh, the biggest difference is, is we can stand there and, and take the time with the customer, find out exactly what they need, mm-hmm. help them with cooking instructions, uh, maybe recommend something better than what they were actually thinking about doing or whatever. Well, no, I mean in terms of the product they're selling. Where does Kroger get its meat as opposed to where do you get your meat? And what is different about Kroger's meat than your meat? Kroger's meat's going to be, you know, all the top national names, IBP and all them. So IBP is Iowa Beef Processors. Right. Is, who are the bigger players in this business besides these guys? They're one of the bigger ones. Uh, you've got uh, Cargill. You've got National Beef Company. National Beef Company has come a long way. That is used to be kind of like a small processor, and then they mm-hmm. 
they've grown over the, about the 10, 15 years or so. Um, the bigger plants just, they had to do like every grocery chain has had to do. They've had to spread out to accommodate everybody, get more right. growing space for cattle and stuff. So, I mean, they've... Well, and it, it, it makes the shipping simpler. Absolutely. Because you don't have a big, long train ride to... Right. Back in 1895, I suppose, that everything had to go to Chicago. That right. Was in the in the formation days of the nation's rail system. But we've got uh, transportation uh, opportunities all over everywhere now. We're not dependent on one location anymore. And yeah. The shorter the time. The less stress on the animal. The less stress on the animal. The yep. shorter the time back, the less money tied up in refrigeration and transport. Yep, exactly. So exactly. th- these things are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, you right. know, you want it to be. You want it to say, you know, yeah, we know the farm nearby, you know, sells to whatever plant or, you right. know. I mean, that's part of the community. You want it to be part of the community. So uh, when Kroger gets in meat, uh, this is is of interest. I know that uh, uh, Sam's, the, the Walmart wholesale people, and I know that Costco does this too, uh, they have an actual meat cutter in their stores. Yes, sir. What about Walmart and Kroger? Do they get T-bones in in the little trays? They're already in the trays in a box. When they went on the truck. Yep. So those things are packaged yep. at a plant. Yep. And are transported like that to the to the retail, That's and they correct. don't handle anything backstage. No, sir. No, they're not even allowed to rewrap anything. So. Oh really? Yeah. Something happens to it, they pull it off and throw it away or something. Well, and I think it probably has, I don't know if you want to do that or not. I think it probably has something with the gases that they flush in some of them trays, too. You know, once you take that out, then. Oh, I see. So how's that done? I didn't I know that's a good idea, good point. Is there CO2? In the, yeah, there's they, there's They gases. purge the, the tray and then wrap it yeah. in the presence of CO2 or Lasting nitrogen shelf or whatever. stability. I mean, sure. they've done tests where they put them actually on a shelf with bread, you know, and left it there overnight, and they come back the next day, and it's still red. And you right. do that to any other steak, and it's not going to happen. Right. It's going to go dark quick. Right. Well, that's interesting. It's a good way to pre- preserve the thing. I remember a long, well, I, I don't know. I haven't bought grocery store. I'm sorry. I haven't bought grocery store <laughs> meat in 10 or 15 years, and I, and I don't know. But... Are they still selling water added beef? Is that what? They don't. The do last it. time I bought, last time I bought it, one of the reasons I got into the custom meat purchasing is because I've just got sick of the shitty quality of these watery yeah. ass steaks that you'd get. Four percent solution, they call it, which yeah. is saline. I suppose it's not as much in beef as it is in pork and chicken. Right, pork and uh, chicken's all add water added because yeah. it's cheaper to sell water than it is just oh, to sell chicken and pork. Yeah, but uh, has that stopped in beef? Or yeah, I I don't know of anybody that does it. You know, most of the time people, when they're looking at that uh, steak and it's got juice coming out and everything, and they think it's you know all the water and everything, but it's actually protein and it's in very little of it is actually the blood. It's actually right. the water from mm-hmm. the animal right. that helps so keeps it. That's part of why everybody likes it dry aged because mm-hmm. you're you're All letting that gone. moisture come out of an animal. Oh, that's gone. So they've that that part of the thing is has changed over the past ten or fifteen years, I guess. 
But there, I guess the primary distinction uh, in a situation like Kroger versus a small shop is the way the meat's handled at the retail outlet. You actually are handling the meat. Correct. And they're just setting it on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And a lot of them, you know, uh, in the the Walmart super centers and stuff like that, they actually, that animal is processed. And then as soon as it comes down to chill temperature, they begin to process it, cut it into steaks and all that stuff. So there's, there's not no, aged. there's no wet age. There's no dry age. There's no nothing. It's just fresh. Put the in cow. the tray. Yeah. And then it's, once it's cool and then it's sealed and, you know, a lot of times, once it goes through the final process of coming out that wrapping machine, then it's given sometimes 14, 21-day shelf life on it. So when you actually get the product in the store, if it's got a seven-day shelf life on it, it may be from three, four weeks ago as right. a steak form. You know, oh, which is different. that long ago. Yeah, which is different from the way we do it because <clears throat> we get it in the primal form and then mm-hmm. we can... You know, wet age is not a bad thing, and we can definitely dry age it, which is also not a bad thing. Right. So the the primary difference is is in handling. Large retail outlets don't handle the beef except to put it on the shelf, and yep. you actually deal with the, with the product yourself. Absolutely. So uh, that's that's interesting. The the quality is probably going to be higher in a situation like you've got because of one the way it's handled and trimmed and and dealt with and sold and b the places it's sourced from how do you source your beef as opposed to to Kroger's national office which has got a deal made with uh IBP and everybody right. else and and uh so you mentioned that you get your beef from a small producer in Kansas Right. So what's the situation with that? Well, back in the drought, they came to us and wanted us to try their program, their High River Angus program, and mm-hmm. we tried it, and I loved it because it's it's almost exactly like I would produce it if I was from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a lot <clears throat> less waste. There's a lot less. It's more affordable in a way because I don't have as much trim losses and stuff on it. Um but I just like the quality of the product. Uh, it's raised at a little bit higher altitude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, when they finish their animals out, they're they're looking to kind of go a little further north where it's not as hard on the animal. Right. Um, and it, yeah, which in the marbling, you know, you get more tenderness. Uh, right. Fat is an actual tenderizer and flavor. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you want that to, to be a successful steak. Sure. Uh, so... You uh, don't deal with side beef. You deal with box beef. Correct. All right. Now, tell us what the difference is between side beef and box beef. The side beef, um, you have to move a little quicker on some parts of it. Uh, A side is half of a carcass. Yep. Hanging from a hook. Yep. Right? That's all of the whole beef. The whole thing. The whole thing from sirloin... The neck meat. Yep, shank, everything. The whole thing. All these, all these. I, we won't go into the details of the names of the beef cuts. There are little maps all over the internet for that. But uh, so rounds, sirloins, loin, four quarter beef, all that stuff. You guys looked that up. But side is going to have all of that. Yes, sir. All of the cuts. Yep. Box 
has the carcass separated into primals, primals what are called primals. And yep. what are the primals? Uh, you've got the round on the rear end of the animal. And that's, you, the, that's the big, the thigh muscles. Yep. Right. Yep. And then connected with that is the sirloin tip, uh, which a lot right. of people aren't familiar with as that. The, as, the, as, the, as the thigh muscles come up into the hip. Correct. So the sirloin is out of the hip yep. area, the pelvis area. Yep. And that ends up being its own separate primal, the sirloin does. And then it goes mm-hmm. into the short loin, which is the T-bone porterhouse that's or the, boned out as an That'd be the strip. lumbar spine. Right. Right. And then the front quarter into the ribeye section and then the that's chuck. The, the same muscles that run up the rib cage. Right. Right. And the chuck and the arm and the brisket are all wrapped into one. That's the shoulder stuff. Yep. That's the shoulder area. Uh, are beef ribs used for anything except hamburger? Oh, absolutely. Are they? Yeah. I always thought that was a waste product. <laughs> yeah. Back ribs, everybody likes to grill back ribs. or the Beef back ribs. Yeah. Or the short ribs, everybody How is these. it that I don't like these? <laughs> they do the dinosaur now, the dinosaur ribs, the long short ribs. Well, yo, oh, you're talking about what do they call that? A tomahawk steak? No, that's the other part. If you take off the short ribs right. and bone it out, and then you leave the rib bone, and then you got a tomahawk. Oh, okay, it's fashionable now. Wife beater or whatever you want to call. Oh God, <laughs> big long club, wasted. It's it's about a half pound of shit you're paying for. You can't eat. It's about so, an eight ounce of bone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it looks Amazing. good. It does look cool. <laughs> it's a handle for the chef, right? I guess. So what about, uh, uh, all right, so the four quarters are the, when you see chuck roast and things like seven pin roast and uh, what are some of the other? Arm roast, Arm brisket. Roast, all that is uh, four all quarters. All that stuff. off of the chuck, yeah. Where is the brisket? You actually have to pull the arm back to get to the brisket, and then the brisket runs from the top of the, where they split the sides in mm-hmm. half down to the neck. So it's in front of the shoulder. Yes. It's in front of the shoulder. Yeah. What do they do with the neck meat? That's usually ground, isn't it? It's usually ground. Uh, Some people like stew meat. Um, Mm -hmm. Depending on the age of the animal, you can use the neck bones. Some people like those. Neck bones aren't as popular as they used to be. Bone-in roast aren't as popular as they used to be. Right. Uh, People have kind of forgotten how to cook. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's not a shock. (laughs) Right. People know how to text. (laughs) They don't know how to cook. Uh, Google it. Neck bones uh, used to be when I was a kid. They sold soup bones. Absolutely, they called them soup bones, yep. and you'd get them and roast them in the oven. Yep. Boil them. Yep. And make beef stock out that's of it. That's right. And that's that's the best. Cheap. It's cheap, and it's good. But anymore, I guess you'd have to. Well, shop like you could probably get neck bones, right? W- we don't sell as many neck bones as we do femur but you, bones. But you could get them, yeah. right? If you if you if you had an order. Yeah, most people like the femur bones because they have more marrow in them for making stock, and right, uh, it's a lot healthier for you. Yeah, good good fat. Uh, our friend Stan Efforting makes a they that plant that he uses for his uh, elevate meals makes their own bone stock out of that. Uh, did you see that video he had the other day, guys? He had a video up of behind the scenes at the thing. They make their own bone broth there just for Stan and in the meals. And they they put it in with the rice and everything else. And his meals are good. You can give that a 
Give that a check. StanEfferding.com. X-Elevate. Forgot about that. I need to turn that off. Joe? No. No, it's not Joe. Not this time. No. No, it's not Joe. <laughs> Joe calls me and bothers me all the time. Wants me to be on his show. I told him to get fucked. I'm not going to be on Joe Rogan's show. He, he, if he wants a bigger audience, he needs to get it without me. That's all there is to it. So uh, the whole carcass, though, is, is used. Absolutely. And there's not any waste on a, on a carcass. None. None. Every piece of that animal goes. I tell it. Somewhere. I take that back. The one part that is not used is the is the snout, spinal cord. No, that's used. Spinal cord <laughs> and the brain. Yeah, yeah, that's because of the VSE yep. scare. I guess they just can't take a chance on it. Yep. Used to, you could buy beef brains. Absolutely. A long, long time ago. Yep. Pork brains are still for sale. Yes. Brains and eggs. Used to. I know y'all are. See, they're thinking that I'm crazy. You, <laughs> 50 years ago, 60 years ago, you walk in a cafe in Texas and order brains and eggs for breakfast. Yeah. I worked at, a, it was, at the time, it was BNR Thriftway in Owl Park. I remember us getting some in. Yeah. Brains and, yeah. yeah I guess they scramble them with eggs. I yeah. never had it myself, but I know that it was eaten. It's not bad. It was a common thing, but uh, they condemn all of that part of the carcass now. Correct. Right? Correct. Uh, when they, well, when they, when they make a porterhouse or T-bone, do they excavate the, the spinal canal and get the nerve tissue out of that steak before it's packaged? Yeah. And if, if they don't get it all, then we have a tool that we run down the spine. It's just a little U-shaped tool and you can run it down. And we used to do that on all the cattle when we got it in before they started making them remove it. Mm -hmm. Uh, they'd come in with it and. The only reason we removed it was because once you went to cut steaks, then it would smear over the yeah, meat. Yeah, it scattered so, everywhere. Yeah. With saw would scatter it across yeah. the... And that's probably not a good idea. No. Well, they were going to prohibit the practice anyway, so yeah. you might as well get ahead of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Right. So uh, you guys get in box beef, and box beef is, uh, is primals, and a primal is sections of a side correct so you order what you think you can sell exactly right and exactly. your your inventory at any given time is going to consist of uh, a whole bunch of different box beef how do you decide what to buy it's tough there's a lot of things that come <clears throat> in the factor you have to factor what time of the month it is you have to factor in the weather uh, whether you've got any holidays or whether you've got any you know, Super Bowl coming up or whatever, and you just kind of have to be a mind reader and figure out where customers are going to go with it. And it's right. it's not always easy. Sometimes you run out, but uh, I try to keep my cooler to where it turns every time I get a truck. I, I get a truck twice a week. And uh, so I try to empty it out as close as I can to the next one, and that way mm -hmm. we're always moving fresh product through there. Right. So if something's not selling as well as you thought it was going to, you cut the price. Cut the price. What a fascinating concept. Yep. Here we are in a capitalist society, and it's just it's just so odd that that works. Uh -huh. Or you find so, another way to merchandise it. Right. 
Now, do you make your own hamburger? You guys grind that, yes. or do you order it in? No, we grind it on spot. Uh, everything you see in the counter, we'll make 80-20. Um, right. And then we grind uh, truck tenders for our 90-10, um, right. which it has the same consistency as doing round meat, um, but the texture of the meat is actually more inviting to people. Mm-hmm. People like it better because of the... The texture it makes a patty where right. ground round is kind of too dry. It doesn't make a patty. Do you double grind or single grind? Double. Everything's ground twice. Yep. Right. Grind yeah, it through once. It, it pull the knife out. Like pull the bone chips and everything out because that's what it's designed to do is catch the bone chips and the right. gristle, and then put back together and grind it a second time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, my dad ran a cafe here in Wichita Falls for. 30, 35 years, and he would make his own hamburger. He had a big Hobart machine in the in the, uh, in the the kitchen, and uh, we ground hamburger every couple of days, and he would buy, uh, this is what we call an aside. <laughs> he, would, he would buy um, what they called bull meat. Right. They used to market a product called bull meat. Yep. Now, I remember this. I don't know what cut it was. I don't know, but it was a great big 10 to 15-pound piece of meat that was purple. It was right. so dark. It had absolutely no fat in it right. at all. And the the muscle fibers were big and fat. And he would use that as the basis for his hamburger meat. Right. What? The hell was that? Just out of curiosity. It's just older bull meat that they can't do anything with. Um, and we used to use it all the time. So for five-year-old bull, just yep. wander. He's not going to grade. Yep. Right? And we'd, we'd use it to lean up fatty beef so that you'd actually have an 80-20 blend. Or, right. Uh, back then, was more popular with a 73-27 blend. Um, but, yeah, that's we used to get it in 60-pound boxes. We'd cut uh-huh. it up the night before from frozen state, let it thaw out. Do it as our grind first thing in the morning, and you don't see it as much anymore because back then we did a lot more hanging beef, so we had a lot more fatty beef. We mm-hmm. had a lot more trimmings right. to try and move, and and uh, so you had to have something to kind of counter that. Otherwise, you're trimming all that fat off to bring it to a fairly lean consistency, and then it's all going in the trash, and you never get to use it. Right. Now, to clarify, hanging beef, if you've got a side of beef, all the fat's still on the side. Right. All of the fat's around the kidneys. The suet, the nice dry, what we call leaf fat, yep, was is around the is around the the kidneys and on the inside of the abdominal wall of the carcass, and uh, that stuff is gone if you're buying boxed beef because it's all Correct. been cut up into primals and you have access to that good fat exactly. to use with, and at the same time he would buy tallow, yep. not tallow. He would buy suet. Yep, he'd buy suet and he would blend the suet with the bull meat and make the hamburger meat that he wanted right there in the kitchen every day and uh that's i guess what you're talking about doing too right yeah and then you know if you buy insides of beef um you know you try to use that fat as much as you can because you've bought that fat and you've got to try and make a dime off of it instead of just throwing it in the can and that's Mm -hmm. primarily why the bull meat and stuff came in you know even though we had to buy the bull meat it helped us also sell the fat that we just broke down and so we had to have right. somewhere and tallow is appearing in the stores now it is you've seen this yeah it it's is. a the suet when you take the suet fat 
and render it down. <clears throat> and I've done this in a slow cooker. Yeah. You put a whole bunch of it in a slow cooker and render it down and uh, skim the, the, the liquid fat off of that and put it in a jar. Uh, that is finally coming back after decades of neglect. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. Now, correct me on this if I'm wrong, but Buffalo Wild Wings fries their chicken wings and beef tallow. Really? That's why they taste so damn good. Didn't know that. McDonald's fries used to be fried in beef tallow. And it's excellent for frying. It's got a better flavor. But remember back when our friend Ansel Keys destroyed American health with this idiotic insistence that fat was poison. Uh, all of that went away there for a while, but it's coming back because of the superior quality of the of the flavor and the and the health benefits of not using trans fat when you fry it. Yeah, some people are actually using some of it for lotion, soap. Uh, it's it's a useful product, and if you find somebody that's got access to some suet, yeah, buy it. Yeah, shouldn't be much money, right? But uh, if could you get that in if I yeah, order we, some from we you? sell it. Um, we have different people, especially during the hunting season. You know, we have a lot of people that come in wanting it for to blend with their deer to lean it or fatten it up a little right. bit because it's too lean. Uh, right. At the beginning of their season, you know, the the deer carcasses are so marbled up and fatty from right. eating. But once they get into the rut, you know, we we get bombarded with people wanting either right. pork fat or oh, but deer deer suet is horrible. Oh yeah, it is. It's like candle wax. You can't really eat it. Yeah. It, <laughs> It's uh, God. I've got a buddy of mine shot a deer. Let me have it several years ago. Real fat, fat all along the back straps, yep. and that fat is yellow. Yes. And I made the mistake of cooking uh, a loin roast with the fat on it, and I'm telling you, it's inedible. Yeah. That fat's inedible. Yep. It's just horrible. And uh, but uh, deer meat, real lean purple deer meat, cut with beef. So it is excellent hamburger. Yeah. Well, and, you know, back to your point on, you know, if we if we grass-fed and grass-finished every animal that was out there, they're eating a lot of the same thing the deer would eat. And mm-hmm. so then, there wouldn't be any suet. Yeah, and, and any the flavor suet. would be different. And, right. I mean, that's the whole reason they feed them out the way they do, just put that good marble and flavor in it. So let's talk about the, the grass-fed versus grain-finished beef. Uh there's been a lot of attention recently paid to paid to how the how the meat is finished. Uh, a lot of people swear by grass-fed beef. I don't like it. I don't like the flavor. Uh, but a lot of people prefer it because of the supposed uh, better fatty acid profile that uh, that the grass-fed provides. What uh, has been your experience with this? Yeah, we have a lot of people that ask, you know, whether the product is grass-fed, grass-finished, all all cattle. Probably without knowing what that means. Exactly. And right. once you start to talk to them about it and tell them the differences, you know, then they get confrontational or they just, well, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and take what you got in the counter, you know. Um, <laughs> they don't seem to understand, you know, that if you have a grass-fed, grass-finished piece of meat on there, there's a lot of work that goes into cooking that to get it as tender as you would, you know, another steak where you just have half the time. A, a grass-fed medium-rare steak um, would be an acquired taste. Absolutely. 
for me. I'm not interested in dealing with it. If I want to eat something that lean, I'll just have venison. Right. You know, and venison is perfectly fine, medium rare. Yeah. Perfectly fine. But beef that's that lean is just... It's just uh, different taste, different texture, different, everything. Now let's talk uh, because this leads right into the discussion of grade. All right, tell me about grade and how carcasses are graded and what that actually means. Grade uh, the top grade is a prime grade. Uh, most herds, on the average in the United States, only produce two to three percent prime grade um, of a thousand cattle. Twenty or thirty of them. Yep will produce carcasses that'll grade prime. Yep, and it'll be right. right on the right on the edge of being either upper two-thirds choice or prime. And so choice is the next one down it and is. it's it's usually divided into thirds. Yes. Bottom third, middle third, upper third, correct. Upper two-thirds choice. Correct. And that's pretty good beef. It is. It's it pretty is. good beef. And, you know, it depends on whether you want a ton of marbling in there or not mm-hmm. so much. I mean, it it is the n- not so much. I mean, it's got marbling, so, but. So the grade is dependent on the marbling. Correct. And the marbling, for those of you that, that are confused about that term, is the interstitial fat within the muscle. So if you see a steak that's got white streaks through the meat, that is what is referred to as marbling. And prime is going to have a whole lot of that. Uh, about 10 years ago, uh, it, was, it was fashionable to call everything in your case Kobe beef. All right. This was always bullshit yeah. because by law, Kobe beef could not even be exported from Japan. Right. If you were eating Kobe beef, you were sitting in Japan eating it. Yes. Right. That didn't keep anybody from not calling it Kobe beef. And Kobe beef was supposed to, I believe this is true, supposed to come from Wagyu cattle. Wagyu are a breed. Right. It was developed in Japan. Right. All right. That was, some of that meat was at least half fat. Right. I have, in Korea, bought some steaks at a little corner kiosk that were that were way up in the prime right. area. They were, they were almost half fat. And it was delicious. Oh yeah. my God, it was good. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. that is a an extremely expensive product because anything that grades that high, and by grade we mean marble, anything grades that high, is such a tiny percentage of of the beef that's produced by the national herd that it's this something like that is a product of an extremely specialized breeding program it's all genetics it's how they convert uh graze and grain into into meat right and they lay a bunch of meat a bunch of fat down in their in their muscles and really it's probably a disease process but the flavor of the meat is popular it's 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 real good if you ever had any congratulations uh (laughs) So as, as we start at prime and go down, we're actually talking about the amount of marble. And underneath choice is select. Select, and that's what you see mostly in the grocery store, right? Um, it's not as Unless popular anymore, really? but you do see it in some lower-end markets, uh, some Hispanic markets. You know, they'll carry the select, and mainly because they're cutting it thinner 
and they're marinating it or right. they're doing something different with it. Right. They're not really using it the way we would right. fry or grill the steak. Right. Right. And underneath select is what? No roll. No roll. Right. No roll is a real uh, lean, lean piece of meat. Um, there's not a lot you can really do with it. Um, a lot of them use it for canner meat. Um, right. It, it, it grinds fine, and it'll give you the flavor of beef fine. Um, if but, you put fat in Right, with, right. But right. you've got to have something else with it in order for it to be. Now, there used to be a grade called Utility. Yeah. Is that still available? Yeah, it, that's not, for, that's, it's not available to us. Um, that's dog food stuff. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and what I, is cutter canner? Same thing? Oh, they make more like Denny Moore stew and stuff right. like that, where they put it in huge pressure cookers and cook it down and stuff. Get it soft. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's lean and it's good. It serves a purpose. Right, these lower grades. But if you're looking at a steak in the, in the grocery store, you're probably going to be looking at choice. Choice or up. Lower yep. third choice, something like that, right? Yep. So uh, what do you carry in your butcher shop? We carry upper two-thirds choice to prime. Right. Um, the sirloins are always prime. I just like the flavor and the texture, and I'm a sirloin guy. I'm not I, a ribeye guy. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, you and I agree on that. I've, there's a whole bunch of people that think that I'm crazy because I will prefer the flavor of a sirloin over the flavor of a ribeye. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you how this happened. I've uh, been in on the uh, eating of a bunch of sides of beef from just I bought a side. So I've got all these Cuts of meat in my freezer. I've got the sirloins. I've got the T-bones, porterhouses, the ribeyes. I've got the the aged hamburger. We're going to talk about age in a minute. Oh, my God, that's the best stuff in the world. <laughs> oh, it's good. And, you know, just all of, all of the four-quarter stuff. Of all of that meat off of every one of the whole sides that I've bought, the best-tasting steaks were the sirloins. Yep, I agree. And uh, most people will, you know, it's fashionable to like ribeyes, I guess. Uh, but as far as the flavor of the meat is concerned, the sirloin is the best. It's it's handy that it's also cheaper. Yes. But that's not my fault. <laughs> okay? <laughs> sirloins, if you can find a fatty sirloin, it, it's hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I carry the prime grade because it just. If you can find prime sirloin. Now, for some reason, my favorite steakhouse in the world, those of you that that have access to the two locations in Houston and the one in Dallas, is Pappas Brothers Steakhouse. I've been eaten in very, very good steakhouses all over the country, and the best steakhouse I've ever eaten in is Pappas Brothers Steakhouse in Dallas. They don't offer a sirloin. Really? I and I don't know why that is. They don't sell a sirloin. There's not one on the menu. All of their meat is in a case. As you walk in the door, you can see all the meat in the case. It's all dry-aged, but it's all loin and ribeye. And they don't sell a sirloin. And I don't, I've asked about it one time, and, and he told me that we can't get prime sirloin. Really? But I've seen it. Yeah, I can't. And I don't know what the hell's going on there. I don't know if he's just telling me to something to get me to shut up, but I've 
I always wondered about that, but but uh, that is a that's a marvelous place, and uh, all they sell is uh, prime. They don't have anything in the store that's not prime, and uh, it's a it's a specialized market, and they've got a they worked very hard to develop supply chains to supply them nothing but prime beef. Yeah. Because as you as you mentioned, two to three percent of the of the right. national herd will grade prime, and that's not a not a hell of a lot of beef, and a lot of it's already spoken for. Right. Yeah. You know, that's what you most people don't understand is that a lot of it's booked out. You know, so far in advance that right. Uh, if you're fortunate to get some, grab it. You know. Because, right. But uh, it's it's expensive, and there's a reason it's expensive. Now, the way they grade a carcass is interesting to me. Uh, and what I understand is they, they grade the side. Correct. They grade, they grade the whole side, and whatever the side grades, all of the meat on the side carries that grade. Yes, sir. And they'll cut it between the sixth and the seventh rib. Yep. So when the thing is hanging and cooled off, they'll go in the cooler and take the knife and cut the thing from all the way down the rib to the spine and look at the cross-section of that ribeye between the sixth and the seventh rib. Yep. And whatever that is, is the grade the carcass carries. Correct. Now, that may or may not mean that the rest of the beef on that carcass grades prime. Exactly. But they have to make the decision about it somehow. How uh, much, how reliable do you think that grading method is? In other words, if I cut this side between six and seven and it it's, marbled sufficiently to be called prime how likely is the sirloin to be prime it really depends on the breed of the animal right um, and they've gotten away from that somewhat in some of the larger facilities to where they actually have a, probes that go into the side in five different spots and it's read by computer right. to tell for your very reason right there because sometimes it didn't always grade you know you look at a right. ribeye and of course that's the fattiest piece anyway that inspector's only got a matter of seconds to grade that and stamp it right. and roll it on down so now they've got the computers that will actually probe that it somehow deciphers how much fat content is actually in there and then register that and then somebody else stamps it well that's that's good because that would keep you from ordering a box of uh, prime loins and having them come in middle choice. Oh, and it's happened. actually middle choice. Yeah, it's happened. I bet it does. Yeah, and then but on the other end of it too, you know, you'll get some that you order in upper two thirds choice, and it'll be so marbled up, you're thinking, "Wow, this is crazy." Yeah. So, but well, it, it does happen once they stop one chain and you know one process of animals, and then they bring in the second row of them or whatever. You know, there may be one or two that actually get in the wrong box or. Right. I've had some that have been just absolutely horrible that, you know, I wouldn't got credit on. And Oh, no, well, you call the guy up. Yeah, said, I call him and get credit well, on it and then make right. it into cutlets or something, you know, because right. nothing else I'm going to do with it. Right. Can't sell it for upper two-thirds. Yeah. No. Doesn't work that way. Uh, so uh, now that we know what grade is, let's talk about age because age is very important. Age is uh, a uh, is a process that takes place within the muscle of the carcass 
either as it's hung or as it lays in the box. There are enzymes in the muscle, proteolytic enzymes in the muscle that are supposed to be there and are normally present in all muscles because of the fact that muscle tissue is constantly being degraded and replaced in the living animal. Once the, uh, once the animal's killed, the enzymes don't go away. They remain, and these are catalyst enzymes that remain in the muscle that continue their, their process of breaking down muscle protein. If the meat is refrigerated at, for example, usually 38 degrees Fahrenheit and hung on a hook, the, the, the enzyme activity, it's not a bacterial process. Those of you that think this has something to do with bacteria, it does not. Absolutely not what it's about. It is about proteolytic enzymes in the meat continuing to break down the muscle tissue after the animal is, is, is hung and cooled off. And this process continues up until the time the thing's cooked. Uh, aged beef is more tender than uh, fresh beef, like you're, we're talking about in the, in the tray at Kroger's. Uh, aged beef is, uh, has got a different flavor. It's got a different texture. And uh, the grade of the carcass controls to a, a, a great extent how long you can age the beef. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, if you try to do, you know, a no-roll or, or even a select, uh, it will it will begin to just basically rot from the outside right. in instead of actually doing what it's meant to do. If you have a choice or a prime, then once those start to break down, and especially if you can allow the animal to hang from the hook, it actually has a natural process of pulling the the sinew and every muscle and everything downward to where it actually because the 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 stretch the right. tension effect on it begins the, on to pull it apart to where it gives it that tenderness right and uh, and then depending on how age you want it then you start to lose the moisture out of it which they call shrink and then the uh, the flavor starts to enhance into right. a, a somewhat of a nutty flavor it's a different flavor than than unaged beef I. It's, it's, some people like it, some people don't. Exactly. Uh, you had to eat it once before you can, before you can appreciate the, the, the vast difference between dry aged beef at five weeks, as I previously mentioned, I prefer, uh, to, uh, unaged beef. The, 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 the way the, the animal grades is largely determines the amount of fat within the muscle. But it also determines the cap of fat over the whole carcass Correct. that protects the meat underneath it during the aging process. Correct. And the more fat, the better if you're wanting to age for any period of time. Right. Because it'll, it'll help protect everything that's on the internal. Now, it may not look appetizing, you know. But that's trimmed off. Yeah, but that's trimmed off. But that's where a lot of people don't understand that uh, – you know, you have a lot of shrink loss, and you the longer you age it, the more you have to trim off. And they think, well, why didn't I get back all my meat? Well, you did, but 
you know, some had, of it goes to trim. Yeah, we the longer to, you hang it, the more trim there's going to be because the, the cap of fat's going to have to be trimmed off. Yep. It'll get a maybe a little bit of mold on it or something yep. like that, but that's all gets it's trimmed healthy off. Mold. It's not a yeah. bad mold anyway. So. No, but it's it's unappetizing right. to look at to most people, so right. they won't they want it rejected. They want all that trimmed off. Now, as I mentioned, five weeks is where I like where I like to eat a high grade carcass. Right. Uh, what happens after that? Is the shrinkage? Yeah. Um, once you get past the 14-day period, you don't really, you know, most studies have shown that 14 to 21, you don't really get any more tender after that point. It's just the nutty flavor that begins to right. take up after that. Um, and then depending on what the customer wants, then we trim it down, cut it into steaks. I had uh, a couple of T-bones one time uh, that were given to me by a guy that had uh, a box loin uh, in his cooler that uh, he had basically lost. And these things were uh, four months. They were four months old. The flavor was basically the same as my five-week age, but the rest of the thing was trim. Right. It had just dried out to the point where it wasn't, yeah. wasn't beef anymore. It was just trim. Um, I have heard that there are some restaurants out on the, you know, high end markets on the East coast that are experimenting with 120 day dry age. That's Eric, that's marketing. I think, I I don't think you're getting any benefit out of, you're not out of that. You just got an extremely, extremely expensive steak. Right. Because you threw most of it away. Yeah, you made prosciutto. And you got to make money on whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> made prosciutto out of it. But uh, this is—I mean, dry age is popular. Uh, there are a lot of places that advertise wet age. Correct. Wet age seems to me a way to market storage in the cryovac. Right. Because wet age means you just didn't take it out of the cryo. Right. Right. <laughs> you left it in you left it in its own myoglobin, you're marinating it in its own blood. Yeah. And calling that age and I is are the processes similar? They are similar. The only difference is when you bring it out of the cryovac, then you don't have that enormous shrink loss that you do when the moisture right. is coming out as a aging and then then taste and texture is a little bit different. Quite uh, a bit different. Yeah. Quite a bit. You're different. not experiencing that, but it, at the same time, you got to be careful because that product can get gassy in the vi- vacuum pack, and then you got a whole other issue to worry about. You know? Oh, you mean if the if, if the cryovac, we're talking about the plastic wrap, right? If that blows up, yeah, yeah, then you've got to throw it away, right? Or trim the trim the daylights out of it to get down to something good. And well, depending on what it is, you, you may not be able to trim that much. You know, you might not. I've had it. On similar things where, you know, like on a T-bone short loin, you got so much loss from trimming down the bone to get, you know, to nice bone. And then, of course, the fillet side is just almost demolished because mm-hmm. it's not any good anymore. So mm-hmm. if you want to go that route. <laughs> yeah, dry age is my preference. Do you deal with any specialty kinds of meat like bison meat or anything like that? I've had a lot of requests for it. Um uh, 
The problem is is getting it. Um, there's it's company, probably all already sold before you. Yeah, there's a company it. out of South Dakota that specializes in a lot of it. Uh, their minimums are what kill me. I can't meet their minimums. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, some of them are a thousand pound order, or some of them are you know a certain dollar amount or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you're in the metro area, then they can hit several different stores at one time and make up that. Um, but us being in Wichita Falls, it's like being in right Timbuktu. Yeah, it is. <laughs> in fact, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, the the beef industry considers bison beef at this point. I don't know that they consider it beef, but I know there's a lot of customers that are uh, thinking that way on it, just a leaner. Zoologically, bite. it's regarded as right, beef. Right. Right. But in terms of uh, uh, in terms of bison beef, uh, I've I've had it before. I've had a good ribeye that was fatty. It was yeah. a nice grated yeah. ribeye. So I know they'll grade if oh, they're yeah. fed. But uh, God Almighty, it was expensive. Yeah, it's just a that's a high end product, and I'm I I don't know that it's worth the extra money, but. Uh, the one I had was good, but I've I've never actually sought it out. Yeah. Well, and they, you know, what on top of what makes them expensive is they will basically have one type of breed of it, you know, and then you yeah. have to go through all the federal regulations and inspection and stuff just like you do the other one. But the end result, you have to find somebody that can actually have an animal that size, you know, in a shoot to be able to process. Oh, I guess that does produce some interesting kill floor problems yeah. doesn't it longhorns are the same way i mean you you've got to be able to accommodate that animal coming through into your chute you know right. and, and most people are not going to mess with a longhorn right they? is there a market for breed specific beef there didn't used to be but i think there's getting more and more so but you know a angus lot of, was obviously they, yeah. the angus people have done a great job yeah. marketing their Angus cattle. limousine, uh, Red Angus, all of them have done a great job at, you know, and and they do well in this area. You know, right. if you go into some other areas, you know, they prefer Hereford brand, you know, because they do well in that area. Um, so it depends on the breed. Do, uh, uh, in the, is there a market for uh, Indicus beef? And by that I mean what we call Brahmin or Bramer, what the way they it's pronounced around here. Yeah. Is that that is that is basically uh all gonna be low grade beef. Right, it? right. And I don't Is there a market for it specifically? The only thing I would see is the hump. I hear the hump's a delicacy. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've never had it, but never never heard of it being for sale. Yeah. But I I've been asked before and right. they tell me it's a delicacy. Huh. So interesting. Yeah. Well, would, it's supposed to have a real super sweet flavor and yeah. really, really tender and interesting. I don't even know what the hell's in that hump. <laughs> it's a big ugly outfit. Yeah. I do know that. Uh, it's strange. brutal on, if you're on the back of it, I know right. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the other types of beef in the world would be, uh, Highland cattle from Scotland. Yeah. Those are supposed to be excellent. Yeah, I've never had the opportunity to to buy any, but I hear it's real high grade, excellent, excellent beef. But yeah. there's so little of it available. Right. I don't know where, how you'd ever get a shot at any of that. No, not either. The, uh, the British breeds are primarily what 
turn into the higher grades of beef in the United States. That would be Angus, obviously, and Hereford, and Devons, and Shorthorns, yeah. and things like that, that you see occasionally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I think I think everybody's got to kind of do whatever goes best for their area, you know, right. and whatever you've got a market for. Uh, there's a... There's a couple companies out there, and I don't remember the exact name of them, but they they specialize in Hertford, and they they do a good job marketing it too. Mm-hmm. And I, occasionally, I get people from out of town with the Air Force Base that are asking for that, you know, particular for Hertford beef. Yeah, and uh, but I've I've not been able to get it through my suppliers. Everybody wants some black. Everybody wants to kill black cattle because the assumption is that it's going to grade higher. Yeah, and to a certain extent, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, but I would imagine there are markets for uh, some of the other uh, British breeds. I bought five Devon steers and fed them out myself several years ago, and they were excellent. Yeah. They were excellent. Uh, I guess yak meat is beef. You ever heard of it? I guess it would be. It would be beef. Yeah. What else would be? What else would be beef? I guess water buffalo is technically beef. Those aren't. Those aren't raised in the United no. States. But there again, it all comes down to the yeah, feed that they're yeah. fed in the end, you know. To, yeah, well, and the genetics that yeah. they, you know, a Cape buffalo is beef. But he's going to be a lot of trouble to kill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He'll be a hell of a bunch of trouble. I don't want to be anywhere around that. <laughs> no. no, no, limousines are bad enough. <laughs> God almighty. So wh- who is the who is the customer? For this high-end beef, who do you sell this stuff to? We, do, you know, you you have a completely different market down at your shop than than Walmart. Who comes in your store? We believe it or not, we get a big variety of people, um, and it it's because you know somebody that may not normally buy a high-end steak or doesn't want to go to Texas Roadhouse for a steak or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll come in for birthday or for Valentine's Day or whatever and spend the money on that high what they day. perceive to be a special occasion yeah, yeah. but you're not that much more money no than the not, grocery store we are not absolutely not and you, you know, know a lot of people once i put that steak on the scale and they see how much it costs they're surprised you know and it's like because it's not out on the counter with a pre-label that tells them exactly what it right. is and how many is in before there. they even yeah lay it up on the yeah. on the paper and a lot of people right. shop by dollar wise you know they'll right They'll see, wow, I got four ribeyes for the price that I would have bought two over there, but they're going to gnaw on those, and they're not going to do that on mine. So. Right. But really, you might be $2 a pound higher than Walmart, maybe three, but yeah. you're not twice the money. No, no. Not and either. I think that surprises a lot of people. And you've got some stuff in there, uh, like we talked earlier about a tri-tip. Right. Tri-tip's a popular cut of beef in California, but most people around here don't know what the hell it is. Well, and picanha's becoming a, a Picanha looks one. like a tri-tip, yeah. kind of, and it's, uh, tri-tip's a little better. Oh, yeah. But uh, uh, that's not a lot of money. No. And it's commonly available in restaurants on the West Coast, right. but you don't see it much around here. A tri-tip, is, a, is that out of the sirloin? It actually, if you're on the carcass of the beef on the backside of the sirloin tip, it's about halfway down, and you start to carve it there, and then it comes down to the joints where the the sirloin and the tri-tip and the peeled knuckle and the flank, they all kind of come together at what they call the pin bone. Mm-hmm. And 
they're all seamed out from that point. Right. But, yeah, it's it's got a different it's got a different grain than what normally you would see on the round side of it. Where does that end up if they don't take it out of uh, the carcass as a tri tip? Does that end up in the in the sirloin, or does it end? It'll up It'll end in up the, on the sirloin and the sirloin tip. Right. Um, it used gets, to be we used it'll be to be a piece of one of those cuts. Yeah, we used to do a, a bone in cut called a cattleman's, and it had basically top sirloin, filet mignon, and tri tip all in one piece of meat. Right. And uh, it was everybody loved it because they kind of got. You know, they're so big that you got right. to split it with like five different people and everybody got a little taste of everything. Do you ever sell that? That sounds like an interesting I, steak. I would have to be back on carcass beef, which I hope to be someday and right. and do that. But, yeah, it is an interesting steak. When I was on the West Coast, we sold a lot of them. I've never even heard of that. That sounds interesting. It's got a bone in the center of it. Right. And then top sirloins on the top. Uh, Tri-tips comes off the tail end of the... Top sirloin and then the fillets on the bottom side. What's well, about five, six pound cut? Yeah, about six pounds. Right. Yeah, at an inch and a quarter, inch and a half somewhere. Well, that sounds interesting. It's good. Oh, I bet it is. So, uh, what what are you guys going to try to do eventually? You mentioned you hope to get back into side beef. I hope you get into side beef myself. the The problem with side beef is uh, USDA inspection. Correct. Now. Uh, if you're going to sell beef, that be to retail, that beef has got to be inspected. Correct. Now, there is a plant down in Seymour that I do business with, and and those guys do what's called custom kill. Right. Now, if I take my steer down there and set up a kill date with him, and I have him in the pen Sunday afternoon, they'll kill him Monday morning for me. Is he inspected? If he's not being sold to anybody but me, I think he is. He, he is inspected, but not as as rigorous as if they're going to do it for resale. Right. Uh, the inspector will look over the plant, do their pre-op, make sure everything's legit. For the most part, they'll probably leave for the day and go on to some other plant. Mm-hmm. And and this is in smaller operations. And right. then All of these places are smaller yeah, operations. Yeah, and then the whoever that business owner is has the right to go on and go ahead and process the animal and everything. Right. And then it has to be stamped, not for sale. Now right. if it's going to be sold. Not to- for sale means that an end of this, this side, these two sides, this beef, which is the term for, if I'm going to buy a, a steer for, for, to kill for my own purposes to hang in two sides, I, he's called a beef. Right. Right. And so if I'm bringing you a beef, it's stamped not for sale, and it's understood that that goes to me and me right. only, right. and that I can't sell it either. Nope. Right. I have to put it in my freezer. Yep. Right. And all of your packages should be stamped not for sale, so that you know I can't go take it from you and then try to resell it in my my facility. So. Right. And then the difference is, is the inspector stays on the premises through the other inspection, and mm-hmm. then. They have to all either have their seal bug, which is a little stamp that says what their establishment number is and everything. That's the little purple dye they yeah. put on the on yeah. the fat. And it has right. to should be graded. It doesn't have to be graded, but it should be graded uh, to some point. Mm-hmm. And then then you're allowed to do that at your facility. But once you sell that to somebody else, then they're not allowed to go ahead and turn around 
and sell that to another retail business, they can sell it to their customers, but that's the end of the line. Now, can I buy side beef from a plant? Could you get me a side if you had a place to hang it? If it depends on the the company that you're wanting to buy it from, depends on their HACCP plan, how they release that animal at the end of the process. What is the HACCP plan? It's a it's a federal guideline that you have to establish with either state or federal saying, okay, here's the process that we're going to do for every single step of the way through the animal. And then at the release time, it'll either be boxed, vacuum sealed, or it'll be hung and transported via this machine uh, to whoever. So you're going to declare the, the, the distribution pathway of that beef. Right. Before it's, it's it's dealt with yes right yes and everybody's is different it depends on what they've come into agreement with with state or federal so if i if i want to go do business with a plant that will sell me a side they will declare that at the onset of the process and i'll end up with a hanging side of beef and how would i see that's what i would love to do right i'd love to do that it'd be cheaper easier than me dealing with my own cattle since I just want to eat them. Right. And if I could buy a side, man, that would be, that would be pretty cool. I wonder if I could do that in Fort Worth. Would I have to go pick the side up? Would they deliver it? How would, how's this done? That would be on their side, depending on how they would release it to you. Right. Um, and a lot of times, like when we've done business in the past with companies like that, uh, one company said, okay, it's got to be in a cargo bin with a tarp over the top of it. It's not a tarp, actually, but it's a, a visqueen wrap. That's right. the only way they would release it. We had another one that they would release it, but they'd have to bring it to us in a regulated temperature truck. And then, you know, they could send it over to us. So it just depends on what their regulations are that they've set up through their HACCP plan. Right. But it's possible to buy side beef. Then. Yeah. The advantage, as far as I'm concerned, of buying side beef, and we mentioned this earlier, is the hamburger. Right. If I've got a, a carcass, if I've got a side that I've hung for five weeks, uh, I'm going to get all of the four-quarter roasts, all of the, all of the rib stuff, all of the, all the loin, all of the sirloin, all the round meat, and everything left over gets ground into delicious, dry-aged hamburger. Now, it's difficult to explain to people that have never had this just how good dry-aged hamburger is. Now, you've had this. Absolutely. And it is it's the most amazing product. I agree. And it's, 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 you know, people don't understand how good the shit is. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely the, the delicacy that you don't get to eat unless you've gone through the process of purchasing the side and having all of the rest of the side processed and packaged and everything. And then everything left over gets ground into, to 80, 20 hamburger. Right. And it is just absolutely the damnedest thing you've ever had in your mouth. And uh, if there's no other reason to do it, that's why you buy side beef, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. the smell, the taste, everything is different. Oh. I mean, it's just, 
You it's, actually smell beef. <laughs> it's 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 really it's you know, uh, people that just have never had anything but a grocery store hamburger don't understand the nature of this product. Well, and it's, most people that buy a grocery store hamburger don't realize that the minute that that animal comes out of the chill machine and has met their regulations to whatever they decide that has to be on their HACCP plan, they begin trimming and processing it on it. So that animal hasn't even been gone maybe an hour and a half hour and they begin and your 100 percent hamburger may not be it's going to be 100 percent beef but it may not be off of what you think it's going to be right. you know it may be parts of the tongue it may be parts of you know tendons or whatever it's right. going to be they can put anything they want to in hamburger pretty much yeah it, there must be some limitation on putting salivary glands and pancreases oh and yeah there's in, yeah but there's but but skeletal muscle right any components of that can be in the right. in the hamburger, right? Yeah. Tongue. They can put tongue in hamburger. They can put it in there. Tongue is is good. Yeah, it is. As tongue. It is. I've got look at these kids. <laughs> look, at, look at these kids. <laughs> it's lingua. The, 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 the Spanish language calls it lingua. Yep. And it's it's excellent. Yep. It really is excellent. And I've had it where you boil it and then you peel the outer skin off. Yeah. Let it chill down, slice it thin. Slice it thin. And then bread it and fry it. Oh, good. oh it's good. It's, it's good. good. If you never had it, you need to try that. It yeah. really is, is excellent stuff. I can't yeah. imagine wasting it's actually a ton really on smooth. the hamburger. I mean, it's yeah. just. Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's excellent. Uh, oh, there's all kinds of things that people don't think about eating. Sweet bread. Uh, sweet breads are excellent. Sweet breads are sweet breads are the pineal gland. Uh, sometimes they call the pancreas a sweet bread. Uh, they're two different organs. Pineal gland is uh, uh, a large gland in a calf, and the older the animal gets, the smaller it gets until the animal's two years old, and a, and eventually the pineal gland's been absorbed and it's not there. So anything that's got a, a decent-sized sweetbread in it is a young steer. Mm-hmm. But that is amazing stuff. Yep. Mountain oysters. Yep. Calf fries, we call them. That's, you people, <laughs> I mean, that's good. It's got a fabulous flavor. It's hard for you people in Brooklyn and San Francisco <laughs> to understand this, but uh, we know things that you, that you don't. <laughs> And that's one of them, all right. But hanging the, tender, you know, a lot of people. Hanging tenders, or that's there. I'm seeing that for sale in places. Yeah. that's a piece of the diaphragm muscle. Yeah, and, and it's it right have up a lot there. To do, but it's, it's good. It, it's an awfully good piece of meat, yeah. and uh, that's one of those things that doesn't last. If you dry age a carcass five weeks, you've got to take the skirt yep. steaks out yep. and the hanging tenders out. Yep. Because they're exposed and they'll dry out into jerky yep. and you can't use them. They so, have no fat over them or anything to be able to. So you take those two pieces out, oh, after five days. You yep. want to get those out of there immediately. But the, then the rest of the carcass goes ahead and ages. But hanging tender, I've seen on menus now. Yeah. And it's good beef. Yeah. It's damn good beef. I used to carry it in the shop. Uh, the only problem is I now they're offering it frozen. And once right. it gets frozen, then I try to. <clears throat> put it in the case and it doesn't have a very good appearance for very long. So right. I have to kind of steer away from it, but yeah, it's, it's amazing, amazing piece of meat. Yeah. It's, it's got 
about twice as much flavor. Oh yeah. As as the other beef, it would be like uh, cheek meat. You ever seen uh, in a Mexican restaurant cabeza? Or barbacoa. Barbacoa, same thing. Head meat, cheek meat. Stuff's rich. Has a very very strong beef flavor. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. Oh God, it's good. So if you only eat ribeyes, you you're missing out on a lot of excellent food. Yeah. If you're if you've got the if if the ick factor <laughs> is strong in you, you need to grow up. Okay. Because I have uh, uh, I have seen. And I've eaten in a restaurant in Dallas, uh, udder meat. Yeah. Oh, God. I had no idea. I just ordered it because I had never seen it before. My God, that's good. It's just, you know, look, open up. Broaden your horizons. There's a world of good food out there if you'll just quit being a little titty baby. (laughs) No pun intended. No pun intended. (laughs) So you've got to, you've just got to, you've got to wrap your mind around the the idea that you don't know all there is to know about what tastes good until you experiment around with it. And uh, guys like Eric here can, can help you learn. And if you've got a guy like this in your area, you need to take advantage of him. Talk to him. Ask him what he thinks. Pick his brain. Ask him if he'll order you stuff. Guys like this are terribly interested in the fact that you're interested in what they do. Because guys like this are important to us. And I appreciate your being here today, Eric. Thank Thank you you very much for for, coming. Coming down today, Eric Kennedy's at uh, Red Barn Butchers here in Wichita Falls. And uh, he's got a website, and that's what? www.redbarnbutchers.com. There's three W's, but we just say Red Barn. Okay, but- yeah. Redbarnbutchers.com. <laughs> and you can get a hold of him there. You can call him on the phone, call him and talk to him. He'll be glad to discuss all of this stuff with you. And if he can help you, he'll do it. He's a real good guy. He'll. He's always been fabulous when i walk in and ask him to do something stupid like make some cutlets for me he'll stop what he's doing <laughs> stop what he's doing and do it so we appreciate him being here today and we appreciate you watching us here on starting strength radio we'll see you next time bye